The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Ultimately, the question I'm asking, and I think we all need to ask is, what are we going to respect down the road? I realized that there really is this judgment day. And I said to myself, for me, the time I wanted to make those judgments was, again, not in that ninth inning, but in the seventh, the fifth, the third, and regularly as I go through my life. And so in order to do that, I began by asking myself, well, okay, what is it that I'm going to respect in my own life on my deathbed? Hey, everyone. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, and this is Everyday Better, a self-improvement podcast where every week I sit down with some of the world's brightest minds and bravest hearts to learn how we can improve ourselves, our relationship to others, and the world around us. Today, we're sitting down with Ron Shake. He's the founder and CEO of Panera Bread, and he's just released a book called Know What Matters, Lessons from a Lifetime of Transformations. His book blends his personal philosophies with professional guidance from over 20 years at Panera, founding Obon Pan and his other leadership roles. What was most interesting to me was what he opens his book with, this concept of the pre-mortem, which is a way of defining what matters and how to get there. It was created by psychologist Gary Klein and adapted by Ron. And he says it gives us all a way to kind of body surf through life, rigid in our vision, but flexible in our execution. Ron's going to talk about what it's meant for him and how you can use it to make choices that reflect what matters most to you. And he breaks it down into four parts, family and friends, health, work, and spirituality. Here's Ron on leading Panera Bread, creating a premortem, and how to know what matters. The real question is, you know, and I think about it all the time, you know, so many of the things that we respond to, is it really matter? What's worth worrying about? What's worth being concerned about? What's important? And ultimately to me, those are the kind of questions we need to ask more of. They inform the choices we make and what we really care about. And so often, and I see it in my kids, actually, you know, with the whole Instagram world and that social pecking order and feeling established. I just want to say, you're really going to be worrying about this in five years. Right. And how much of all this stuff that we put so much energy into is really the important stuff. And I think it's really worth asking that. If you want peace in your life and joy, do I really care what the Jones are doing? Do I really care? what the Smith's life is about compared to mine. What I really care about is mine. Yeah. Yeah. I think so much of it is about pushing into paths that feel unsafe because the safe path so often gives you security, but not necessarily movement and challenges that let us have a better sense of ourselves. Yeah. I wrote about this recently and I'm looking at what you're talking about, looking back at your own career. The best decisions I've made have been the ones where people were like, what are you doing? Are you sure you want to do that? Yes. What is the risk you're taking? Seems to me only in challenging yourself, do you really have growth? If you do what you know how to do the way you did it yesterday, it's comfortable, but it's really not going to drive growth. And so you have to have an element of discomfort. You know, interestingly, you're not really looking forward. And so anxiety in a strange kind of way is a positive attribute 
within limits. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it can also shut you down. But anxiety is what motivates you to push harder, see further, and actually create traction. I was talking to someone, Wendy Suzuki, and she's the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at NYU, and she's a neuroscientist. And so she uh -huh. wrote a book called Good Anxiety. And one of the things she recommends is that you turn all of the what-ifs you have, like what could go wrong, into a to-do list. And all of a sudden, the people who are experiencing everyday anxieties are more prepared, are a little bit ahead of the game because they've turned this what-if into a to-do. So I thought that was really interesting. What does that mean to turn a what if into a to-do? Give me an example. Yeah, what if, so So in planning for this interview, if, if I hadn't have planned, my what if would have been, what if I bomb this interview with Ron on Monday? And I would have just been going, what if, you know, in everyday anxiety, it's like yeah. you can spin yourself up into the worry of what if it goes wrong, what if it goes wrong? But instead I could say, well, let me add it to a to-do list. The to-do list is sitting down with my producer and saying, what's the right editorial direction for us to take? So now when I walk in on Monday, I'm going, oh, I already know what I'm going to talk about with Ron. Even if we go a little bit off track, I know exactly where I want to go. And I feel no anxiety. I, I so get it. Yeah. As somebody who does to-do lists, but I <laughs> will end our off the um, subject discussion with this. Then the great risk becomes, you become at the effect of the tyranny of your to-do list. Fair, fair. The, and that to-do list is still like so present all the time. The right? end on the what yes. if list is like, what if I never get it all done? And exactly, like... <laughs> and that's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> it is absolutely the reality. Well, so it is interesting to think of it this way. Like when I think about to-do lists, even if I think about last weekend or this weekend we're coming off of, I got a lot of things done that I wanted to do. But if I look back, I can't say that everything I got done, I was present for. And so your book talks about this, and I feel like your thesis where you say telling yourself the truth, knowing what really matters and getting it done is the path to creating and sustaining a meaningful life, a market-leading business, and even a healthier society. I, I think about how much am I sitting with my to-do list and then tying that back to like, okay, what really matters? Does this even need to be on the to-do list? And how does it become meaningful? Probably because I'm present, not because I'm just doing it. Well, you know, I try to think of it this way. I say in one hand you have to have some idea of the direction you're going. You know, are you going on vacation in Wisconsin or Florida? If you don't have any idea, you're simply wandering and you're just reacting. On the other hand, you can't be so focused on that future and making that future that you're not present in today. And so to me, the right metaphor for a life well lived is, let me tell you first what it is not. It goes to an article David Brooks did a half a decade ago. He talked about the planned life versus the unplanned life. And in a planned life, you try to lay out everything as if you can actually define that. In an unplanned life, you kind of just roll with the punches and you don't define anything. And I'm arguing for what I would call life as body surfing. What do I mean by that? You're waiting for a wave to come. You choose a wave you think is going to be a good wave to body surf in. When that big wave comes, you jump on it. You paddle. But then you see where it takes you. You see how far it takes you. And then you readjust. So I'm arguing for first being clear where you're trying to get to and setting yourself up on that path so that whatever is unknown can take you where it wants to take you. And on the other hand, staying present with what's actually going on and continuing to adjust. 
Okay, so you can't plan every moment out because good luck. And you also don't want to end up just lost down the path and going, how did I get here? And how do I even get back to something that is meaningful to me? And how do I even know what's meaningful to me? In your book, you talk about this pre-mortem, which feels like a foundation for defining at an individual level what really matters. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's at the core of everything. Ultimately, the question I'm asking, and I think we all need to ask, is what are we going to respect down the road? What's going to, um, from the point in the future backward, future back, are we going to actually feel good about? And I, I guess the assumption of a pre-mortem is that the time to worry about it is not in the ninth inning with two outs, but the time to worry about it is why you can still create that future. And for me, the learning came from my parents. I watched both of my parents pass away. And I watched them both go through what I think happens almost in every case, if you have chronic illness, you have a chance to judge your own life. And I watched one of them very much at peace with their choices in life and another one who were less at peace. And in watching that, I realized that there really is this judgment day. And I said to myself, for me, the time I wanted to make those judgments was again, not in that ninth inning, but in the seventh, the fifth, the third, and regularly as I go through my life. And so in order to do that, I began by asking myself, well, okay, what is it that I'm going to respect in my own life on my deathbed? What am I going to respect in my own life in seven years? I broke it down first in my relationship with my body, my health. What do I need to do? And where do I want to be in my relationship with my body down that road? Secondly, my relation with my work. What is it that I respect? What is it that I want to create in my work life? Third, how about my personal relationships, my marriage, my kids, the things that matter to me in all the people I interact with. And then finally, my own personal spirituality and how did that fit in my life and my own relationship with my God and what mattered to me. And I began by asking myself that question every Christmas, where did I want to be down the road? And then I would essentially say, well, if I'm going to create that, that's sort of telling yourself the truth and knowing what matters. If I'm going to create that, I've got to sit down and break that down into what I'm going to get done this year. What's the first step in that path? And in fact, what am I going to get done every three months? And I would write key initiatives and key projects to get me where I wanted to get to. And again, this is all in terms of my own personal life. This began 30 years ago. And then I would review myself every quarter. How am I doing? Because that review process is part of it. And for me, I ultimately found that kind of pre-mortem, that kind of judgment was a powerful structure powerful process that worked for me. And like so much of what I did in business, I took that process from my personal life into business and I began doing that with each of my companies. And I would ask myself a question, what is it we're going to respect about ourselves in five years? What is it when the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal writes the article, are they going to say that this group of people got done over those five years? And to me, the question of knowing what matters is at the core of pre-mortem. Another way to think of it in so many ways, Leah, is to think about the president of the United States. And I often think about leadership in that context. And these individuals are working 18 hours a day. They're attending meetings, ceremonial duties, decision after decision. And yet when you really think about it, every one of our presidents is known for one, two, or three things. There are certain core issues that actually matter. And I think in each of our lives, just like in business, 
It's understanding what those things are going to be and making sure you put the focus around it. And that's basically the thesis of a premortem. And it's really the thesis that I try to propagate both personally and, and in the organizations I'm affiliated with. So why pick the word respect? There are so many other words you can pick when you make the decision to create your premortem. There's nothing that I value higher than self-respect. When you live a public life, and I have, and when you live a life when there are hundreds of thousands of people, millions that can criticize you, you learn to realize that over time, what ultimately really matters is not what everybody else says about you, not what your friends say about you, not what your broad circle of acquaintances says about you, not what those people in your public says about you, but what you know in the quiet of your own mind and your own sense of self. So to me, respect and self-respect is the ultimate goal, that you've done what you can feel you set out to do, you do what you believe matters, and that you can look upon yourself with respect. I think in so many ways, the toughest thing is, and I saw it again with one of my parents, is when you don't respect your decisions and you ultimately realize, not that you made a mistake, but you weren't who you wanted to be. You know, with your book, you're CEO of Panera, right? You could have really only focused on that, but it feels so much more holistic. Of course, you talk about Panera, and I'm sure, you, of course, you attribute a lot of your success with Panera, it sounds like, to this premortem. You also, though, talk about these three other areas that you think about when it comes to creating a premortem with your family and friends, health, and your relationship to your own spirituality. Why include all of that uh, versus just focusing on the business? Well, this is essentially a business book, and it's about how do you transform. But to me, the question in writing this book was not a self-congratulatory pat on the back. That's what this genre is over and over and over. And to be honest with you, I can't stand it. It doesn't add a lot of value. I don't learn a lot. It's basically saying to people, do like me and you too can have this success. And to me, I really wanted to share with my own kids, with people I know, with companies I work with, there's a better way to do this. There's a powerfully better way to do it. And that was the purpose of this book. How do you think as an entrepreneur? How do you run a large organization? Frankly, how do you run our civic society? How do you run a country? Because we're not doing so well at that, but that's another discussion, right? Right. <laughs> how do you think about long-term transformation? And the other part that I wanted in this book, if I could say so, is I really wanted the humanity of the process. So many of us go through this and we forget the pain and the challenges. And I wanted to give voice to it. I wanted to say to readers of this book, this is every bit as much about facing your own demons and going through them and dealing with them, dealing with the uncertainty. You know, I can remember it. I'd be making a speech in front of 5,000 people and I had billions of dollars of investor capital betting with me. I had people betting against me and I was involved in a massive transformation. And I can remember going out in Starro Drive here in Boston and thinking to myself, my God, all these people are counting on me. I don't want to let them down. It'd just be easier if I got hit by a truck. <laughs> because not that I had a suicide wish, yeah. but just how much burden of responsibility one feels. And part of what I wanted to give voice to is that that's normal and natural in any kind of transformation. You know, whether it's a personal transformation that we're talking about today and making a commitment or a bet to do something 
that's hard and difficult, whether it's taking an organization of hundreds of thousands of people down a road. And the truth is, nothing is known till it's done. Everything is unproven till it's complete. In retrospect, it all looks brilliant. It does, but when, right. But right. <laughs> but when you're going through it, it's really difficult. And then when you magnify it by time, you know, Vince Lombardi has a great quote we talk about in the book. He never lost the game, he ran out of time. I always knew I had the right stuff. But the question was, did I have enough room and time to do it? So I wanted to give voice to some of the humanity of what it is to be a leader and what it is to take responsibility for organizations and others and talk about what happens to people along that way and how you get through it. So, you know, when you think about the pre-mortem, I almost am like pitting this up against what we talked about a few moments ago around David Brooks and this idea of the planned life and the unplanned life. People might make the assumption that I create a pre-mortem and now I know exactly the direction I'm going. I know the way my life's going to take me. And I have this sort of planned thing that hopefully will be boxed up, structured and get me where I want to go. We know that's definitely not true, right? There are parts of life where you will have to take detours. So how do we think about our pre-mortem as we compare it to what's happening in our life in the moment and decisions we have to make that might feel a little different than we planned in that pre-mortem? So here's an expression I think about a lot. Rigid in vision, flexible in execution. I'm rigid in the vision of what I need to do to build my own self-respect. I'm flexible in how I get there. I'm flexible as I'm going through it. I'm adjusting as I'm going through it. I'm learning new things, I'm adjusting. But I know that there are certain things that are gonna matter to me down the road. I'll give you a really simple example. I wanna know that I put everything I had out on the field. I gave it all I had to give. That's a statement that I will respect as I go through my life. I wanna look back and say and know I did that. Now, how I execute that at any given time along the way, that's gonna depend, we're gonna see. But it means that I got up today at 5.30 and worked out. It means that I'm gonna respect myself if I care for my body. But in a business, it's the same thing. We would write out literally what it is we're trying to create over the next three to five years in detail. I spent months writing out what we call a concept essence statement. How are we going to market? What's the script we're taking? Why are people choosing Panera, Old Montpin, Cava, any of our businesses, right? Why should you walk past our competitors to choose you? But then we would be continuing to learn and evolve within the context of that vision of what we're trying to do. Your pre-mortem is not the means to getting there. It's the end you're trying to create. Let me share with you another story, which I think is a valuable construct for your listeners. And I think we often get confused by this. It's in between means, ends, and byproducts. I have a friend who's a type one diabetic. His goal in life is to stay alive as long as you and me, but he can't make that happen. It's a byproduct, his longevity of what? Keeping his blood sugar between 80 and 180. That's his end. When he does that, the byproduct is longevity, similar to happiness. I can't make happiness. Happiness is a byproduct of the quality of my relationships, my self-respect. Well, with my friend, the type one diabetic, his means is diet, exercise, and insulin control. Life is the same thing. The byproduct I'm trying to create, at least from my pre-mortem, is a life I respect, a, a self I respect, a, a business I respect, relationship with my kids where I actually am productive and helpful, personal relationships where I'm of integrity, you name it. Those are the ends I have, or the byproducts I'm shooting for. The ends um, become adjustable as we go through it. But what really is flexible is the means to get there. 
and I may adjust those means at any given time. Yeah, so there's, I like this rigid envision, flexible in execution. So understanding that things will change, and it doesn't mean that our pre-mortem is necessarily changing. Maybe it does, but it's that we are allowing ourselves to kind of live some life and through the experience of living life, recognize we have to shift something. Yeah, and, and I would say that even the pre-mortem, I try to do it every year out, five years. What am I, that changes 10% in a year, not a ton, because it wouldn't have been the right stuff if it did. But I continue to try to think about what is it that I'm going to respect? What is it that matters to me down the road at that moment of judgment in the future? And then what is it I got to do to get there? And then am I getting there? And then continue to adjust from that. So it's staying in the future and the present. We'll be right back with Ron Shake on why your feelings in the present moment aren't always reliable when it comes to working toward your key initiatives and what to look for instead. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back with founder of Panera Bread, Ron Shake. So when you think about pre-mortem, you do this, you know, every year and marking milestones, I think it can be easy for people who are oriented toward performance or work to create more surface level milestones. Did I check the box? Did I just do the thing? How do you keep yourself from just sticking with that and actually going a little bit deeper? So, for example, if I said, you know, I want to create a better relationship with my family. And so I started with that. And over 12 months, every three months I check in. I'm like, great. Well, I called my dad, you know, once a week. There's there's the check mark. <laughs> right. So let's let's actually break it down. Sure. Right. And so let's first start in spreading it out a bit. So I don't do one year future objectives. I do five year. So if there's enough time, I'm looking at the stuff that matters, what matters. And I'm trying to really tell myself the truth. Where do I want to be and what do I want to do? And what do I want to feel in five years or longer? And then I take it from there down to key initiatives. And we'll, maybe we'll use some examples to get me there. And that key initiative can go over multiple years again. It's a thing I'm doing. 
but I can then break that down into things I got to get done this year to support that key initiative to get me to that objective of where I'm trying to get to. Here's an example. For many years in my 40s and 50s, I want to respect my body as much as I do my work. I want to be healthy. Well, I got to be 55 and I realized I was working so hard, I wasn't working out. If I'm really going to respect myself, I got to confront this. It's not enough to just be a couch potato and work 90 hours a week on one of the other elements. And that led me to say, how do I get there? And I said, I'm really great at keeping my appointments. I'm really terrible at working out. So I decided I would hire a trainer at 55 who would come 5.30 in the morning, three days a week, and insist that I worked out. And then it was, okay, that thing gets broken down to what am I going to do this quarter to get that done the next three months? That meant finding somebody. That meant making appointments. That meant building a, that habit around that. And I saw that trainer for 15 years for three days a week. And by the way, I never changed. My favorite part of my workout was always saying goodbye. <laughs> I mean, literally, right? I'm a good talker and I'd find anything we could to talk to avoid the pain. And yet I knew I had to stay with it. And I think that I did the same thing in terms of my body with food. When I realized I really had too high a carbohydrate and one thing led to another and I put on a continuous glucose monitor to watch it. My medical director at Panera had recommended it to me to learn how Panera's food impacted people. And I began to say, okay, I now have data. I have to respond to this. And I started to change my diet. So it's, again, starting with what it is I'm going to respect or feel good about down the road. First, what matters? Health matters. It really does. What am I going to respect in the context of that? What is the initiative? For me, it was to work out. What is the key project? as a subset of that, hire a trainer, make sure I actually do it kind of thing. You mentioned what I think is valuable and like, I love that you said your favorite part was still saying goodbye, even after all this time working with this trainer. But you mentioned before this that it's how do I want to feel? And I think maybe that's the key distinction in how we think about taking on our initiatives is I can check off a to-do list for the things I have to get done this week. But if the question isn't, did I just check it all off, but did I feel like I was present? Or did I feel like it was easeful versus really stressful for me to do these things? And here's how I push you. How I feel in the moment is less the question. What really is going to matter is how I'm going to feel down the road in the future. Because what we're really trying to do is build into a set of feelings we feel about ourselves at some point future. And what I'm trying to create, at least in my life, and by the way, this works in business, is I'm, I'm trying to create certain byproducts or feelings. Like happiness is a byproduct. Self-respect is a byproduct. A sense of completion is a byproduct. A sense of accomplishment is a byproduct. So what is it that I need to do? Where do I need to accomplish to get that feeling coming out the other end? And then what are the initiatives or projects I need to get there? So I actually try to hear myself, but not respond to myself in the present. If I simply respond to it in the moment, I may give in, I may allow myself to lose sight of what I'm trying to accomplish. What's going to give me that longer and deeper sense of self-respect and the feeling I'm trying to create. So I think there's an element again, I'm, and, and I think this is hard when we have anxiety and feelings and we want to be present, is I'm trying to balance both. 
I'm trying to both be in the future about what feelings I'm trying to engender for myself at some point in the future to tell myself the truth about what's going to matter to have those feelings and then to lay out plans to get there and actually hold myself to it while also listening to myself as I go down the road so I can continue to adjust what it is that I want or I'm going to respect again off into that future. You know, I was thinking about this in the relationship with my kids yesterday. Is it helpful to actually help them with their homework and to what degree or not? And what actually will help them to become the kind of human beings I wish for them, that sense of self that I intensely wish that they are able to engender in their lives. What do you wish you had said more to employees at Panera that maybe stems from some of the book that you've talked about today? You know, I, I think I was always known for really speaking about the 800-pound gorillas. It took me a long time. I ran a public company for 27 years. I grew over that time. And I grew to really understand that in many ways, a CEO is a bit like a parish priest. Nobody knows what the future is. And so my job as a CEO was to try to put our work and try to figure out how our work aligns with the agendas of the multitude of people who work for the company and how I helped them make sense of where this company was coming from and how that affected their life, where this company is at this moment, and then most importantly, based on the choices they made, where this company will end up and how that will affect their lives. And trying to link and connect people with the work of the organization and their personal work. We're trying to help people understand that life is not a photograph, but a movie. We're coming from somewhere, we are somewhere, and again, based on our actions, we'll end up somewhere. And hopefully that somewhere that we end up is defined by my pre-mortem. It's a place I want to get to. I haven't done a pre-mortem yet. I've done sort of versions of it, but I'm excited to try it out because I think what I've learned in the last couple of years, there have been points where I felt very planned, very planful, and that things have somehow kind of gone according to what I hoped would happen in my plan. And then life hits you. And of course, you realize, oh, my gosh, these things are fluid. And I can't always I can't always just have exactly what I think I want in the order I think I want it in. And in fact, that's not always the best thing for me. So I'm excited to use the premortem as a way to define more of my vision. But like you said, just come back to the flexibility and the execution and how it all plays out. So listen to you, and we'll talk about you for a second. Oh, sure. If, <laughs> if, if you talk about a meaningful career as one of those elements in your pre-mortem as a byproduct that you're going to respect, that you really want in your life, then the answer is not to lay out every element in that journey, but to stay present as you're going through it with the opportunities that present themselves and then being willing to take that risk and willing to do the hard work to build a meaningful career. The truth of the matter is, and this is another thing that we talk about in the book and one of the important principles is in life, there is no balance. There are only choices and trade-offs. And anybody who tells you you can have everything is wrong. And so part of what I would say to you, as you've indicated to me, if a meaningful career in which you touch people and learn and grow is an important thing in your life, you need to understand how you're going to set yourself up to create that and what you're willing to trade off in terms of getting that. And it's a continual effort along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that. I'm not sure what I'm willing to trade off yet. So it feels like that's a sitting with myself and figuring out what that actually means. 
Ron, I would love to have you complete these three statements for me. The first is better humans are. Self-aware. Better work is. Work I respect. Work that has meaning to me. Beautiful. And a better world has. Got to happen. (laughs) (laughs) My generation is so failed. Your generation. God, we have so messed this world up. Wow. I've never had anyone answer that that way. I love that. Got to happen. Better world has a pre-mortem. Yes, ma'am. Ron, thank you so much for being here. I so appreciate talking with you. Thank you for sharing your book and your work. I appreciate all that you've given us to, to kind of think about as we plan our lives with a rigid vision and a flexible execution. Definitely. Thank you, Leah. Take good care. That was Ron Shake, founder and former CEO of Panera Bread and author of Know What Matters, Lessons from a Lifetime of Transformations. You can find his book wherever you most enjoy buying them. One thing before we go, the big question Ron is asking us to pay attention to is what decisions will I respect later? And the asterisk, which I think is so important, is when it comes to thinking about what you want out of your personal and professional pursuits. How can you maintain rigidity in your vision, but flexibility in your execution? We all have to save room for the unexpected and, of course, some magic. If this conversation resonated with you, share it with the first person who comes to mind. You never know how it could help them out. And support other people like you in finding our show by leaving us a rating before you go. While you're at it, write a one-sentence review telling me and the team what you love about Every Day Better. And as always, you can find me on LinkedIn, writing about human potential and meaningful living. Every Day Better is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Alexis Ramdow. Our associate producer is Rafa Fariha. Asaf Drone is our sound engineer. He makes sure we sound good in the studio. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Enrique Montalvo is the executive producer of LinkedIn Editorial Productions. Dave Pond is head of news production. Courtney Coop is head of LinkedIn Original Audio and Video. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming with me, and I'll see you next week.